Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you have a creation, if you have something, something doesn't come from nothing. And of course, if you want to put it in scientific terms, the universe is an effect that had a cause. And the effect cannot be greater than the cause. The cause has to be greater than the effect. So it shouldn't take an advanced scientific degree to figure out why the universe exists. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26, in a message titled, Wonders, Signs, and the Gospel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we are now as we're journeying through Acts. We are coming to the third chapter, and I want to just remind you of our theme. So we're following, you know, kind of a theme through Acts. And if you remember, the theme is the spirit, the church, and the world. And so as we go through our study of Acts, we're you know, rather than, you know, looking at each and every verse in detail, we're just, you know, trying to, to follow the narrative along here and, you know, keeping up with the real purpose of, of the book of Acts to tell us about this dynamic thing that God began in the world on the day of Pentecost that is still going today and it's something that we are a part of. And, and that, of course, is the church. So the Spirit launches the church into the world for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel so people in the world can be saved. So that's kind of the overarching theme of, of what we're doing here as we go through Acts. So when Luke described those things that the first Christians engaged in collectively, things that we looked at over the past few weeks. Remember, there was the, the devotion to the apostles' doctrine, which meant they gathered around the Jesus story. We talked about that. The devotion to fellowship, the devotion to the breaking of bread, the worship, and, and to the prayer. In that context there, Luke also said, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And so the story that we just read is now a sampling of those wonders and signs that were done by the apostles. And what we see in this is that just as was promised, the miraculous ministry of Jesus is continuing by the Spirit through the apostles and uh, subsequently through the church. So Jesus comes into the world. He comes and you know, one of his credentials is his miraculous power. But then Jesus ascends back into heaven and he sends his church out into the world, but he's going to give to his church that miraculous power, again, as a testimony to who he really is. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at miracles and how miracles and the gospel are connected to one another. So just thinking about miracles. Now, of course, we live in a time where, you know, people are very skeptical about 
the miraculous, and it's not just a, you know, something that's happened in more recent history. This goes back a few hundred years where people just decided that you know, miracles aren't possible. Uh, we've entered into a scientific age, and we know that those things were just you know, due to the superstitions of the past. And, and that mentality has even been adopted by some in the church. Some in the church have said, well, you know, the miraculous accounts in the Bible, they are a stumbling block to the rational mind. So we need to remove those miraculous accounts and we need to just focus on the ethics of the Christian faith. We need to focus on, you know, the morality or the love your neighbor as yourself. We need to focus on that and just, you know, we need to stay away from the miracles because that, that really turns people off. Some, some have said that. Some still say that today. But here's the thing. Miracles are so intertwined with the Bible and the story of Jesus and his church that apart from the miraculous, you can have no real Christianity. In other words, if you try to extract out of the Christian faith the miraculous element, you really lose the, the essence of what the Christian faith is about. The Christian faith is all about miracles and, and one great miracle. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, all the essentials of Hinduism would, I think, remain unimpaired if you subtracted the miraculous. And the same is almost true of Islam. But you cannot do that with Christianity. It is precisely the story of a great miracle. A naturalistic Christianity leaves out all that is specifically Christian. So as Lewis says, Christianity itself is the story of a great miracle. The great miracle that God becomes a man, that God enters into our world as a human being, that a virgin conceives and bears a son, that's, that's called a miracle. The virgin birth is a miracle. So you, you can't do away with the miracles and retain the Christian faith. They, they go hand in hand with one another. But some have asked, well, hasn't science disproved the possibility of miracles? And the answer is absolutely not. I mean, you would hear some people th talk today and it sounds like, oh yeah, you know, science a long time ago proved that there's no such thing as miracles. But uh, we should never believe those kinds of claims. Let me give you just a, a quick example of what some scientists are struggling with today that I think will show us why we don't want to put a whole lot of confidence in science. So this past week, I read an article in The Independent. The Independent is a London-based newspaper. And the heading over the, the article was, our universe shouldn't exist, scientists say. The article goes on and says, the most elite scientists in the world are still struggling to find why exactly our universe didn't destroy itself as soon as it came into existence. That's what science says should have happened. At the beginning of the universe, according to the standard model, there were equal amounts of matter and antimatter. The trouble with that is that they would each have annihilated the other, leaving none of the matter that surrounds us today. Researchers have been frantically looking for some difference between matter and antimatter that could explain why the universe is still around but they have tried a range of different possibilities and have found no difference. That has led researchers to question why the universe 
is still around at all. So this, okay, so th this is, uh, you know, most of the elite scientists are still trying to figure out something that most five-year-olds already know. And that is that God created the world. Now, look, if you have a creation, if you have something, something doesn't come from nothing. And of course, if you want to put it in, in kind of scientific terms, the universe is an effect that had a cause. And everybody knows that the effect cannot be greater than the cause. The cause has to be greater than the effect. So it shouldn't take an advanced scientific degree to figure out why the universe exists. We, we should be able to figure out where there's a creation, there's a creator, uh, but still many scientists can't do that. So when scientists come along or the scientific community comes along and says, you can't trust the Bible, there are no such things as miracles, you know, you don't want to be moved by that. You don't want to be affected by that. I like what Timothy Keller said about the laws of nature. Because, of course, some would say, well, you know, miracles would be a violation of the laws of nature. Keller put it like this. He said, the laws of nature are just God's customary way of doing things. Miracles are God doing things differently than normal. So what, what we call the scientific laws are, this is just the way God does things. But occasionally he does things a little bit differently. So the miraculous, like I said, is an integral part of our faith and there's no escaping it. The Bible teaches that miracles are reality and that, that is from cover to cover, numerous miracles. And one other thing, Jesus, of course, Jesus performed many, many miracles. We'll refer to them in a moment. But, um, you know, in, in his generation, nobody questioned whether Jesus performed miracles. So really, nobody at the time said, no, 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 those, the, he's not really performing miracles. There was never a question of whether he performed miracles. The question was, what was the source of his power that enabled him to perform miracles? That, that's what the question really was in those days. So it was never disputed that Jesus performed miracles. So now, what we want to look at is, first of all, let's look at the purpose of miracles. So we say that miracles are valid. We say that the Bible is full of examples of the miraculous. What is the purpose of miracles? Well, the number one purpose is to magnify the Lord, to magnify Jesus. And we see that in the story here. Because what happens here, this man is looking for He's looking to have somebody give him some financial aid. And uh, Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And then he says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, the miracle that then took place, this man who was over 40 years old, this man who was born in this condition, this man who never walked his entire life, suddenly stands to his feet and begins to walk, and he begins to jump. He begins to leap. And what Peter wants everybody to know, the man included, is that Jesus is the one who did this. Now, remember, this event took place probably about two months after the death and resurrection of Christ. So that, that's, that's 
probably where we're at in the, in the history here, probably a couple of months later. So there was, remember, there was the understanding that Jesus had been there, that he had a reputation for doing miracles. Peter says, well, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that you've heard about, he's the one who did this here right now. And that's what miracles are to do. They're always to point us back to the Lord. You see, what ends up happening many times is that we, we get so enamored with or excited about the miracle that we forget about the one who performed the miracle. And biblically speaking, the, those who, like the apostles who, who performed the miracles, they were quick to always point people back to the Lord. As we read in the passage here, when the, when the crowd gathered around and they were marveling at this thing, Peter said, why are you marveling at this? And why are you looking at us as though we by our own power or godliness had made this man whole? Peter, he's doing exactly what we're supposed to do. He says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who's responsible for this healing. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we need to understand about miracles is that miracles are never a display of naked power for power's sake. So you see, biblical miracles are not just naked power. So Jesus didn't walk around just, you know, pulling out the miracle card, just saying, hey, I'm the son of God. Check this out. Watch me do this. Jesus never did anything like that. Now, interestingly, though, that is the devil's version of miracles. The devil comes to Jesus and he says, hey, if you're really the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Hey, if you're really the son of God, jump off of the pinnacle of the temple. And, you know, let the angels catch you. So for the devil, the miraculous is just a display of naked power. I think of when Jesus stood before Herod. He was there standing before Pontius Pilate to be tried. Pilate understands that Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee. So he says, oh, you know, Herod's in town. Herod's the ruler over Galilee. So I'm going to send Jesus to Herod. So Jesus goes to Herod and it says, and King Herod was so excited that Jesus came because he'd heard about Jesus and he was hoping that he would do a miracle. And you know what? The text tells us that not only did Jesus not do a miracle, he never said a single word to Herod, not a single word. Now, what Herod thought was that Miracles just are about uh, naked power. What Herod expected was Jesus to walk in and go, hey, Herod, want to see something? Check this out. Watch this. You know, watch me do this. So that's the devil's version of miracles. It's just about the power, the, the display of power. In the future, out from where we are today, the Bible tells us that there's going to come a person into the world. We commonly refer to that person as the Antichrist. And you know what it says about him? It says that he's going to deceive the world through mighty signs and wonders. So it will be these manifestations of, of naked power that, that persuades the world to follow, or at least some in the world, to follow the Antichrist later. But Jesus never did that. The miracles of the Bible, and particularly the miracles of Jesus and his followers, were always for the benefit of a person and for the alleviation of suffering. Every miracle that Jesus performed had the benefit of somebody else in mind. 
quite often it was the, the deliverance from suffering. I mean, think about it. Jesus delivered people from blindness. He cleansed the lepers. He gave a speech to those who couldn't speak. He gave hearing to those who couldn't hear. In this case here and in other cases, people who were lame couldn't walk. He enabled them to do that. So in all of these cases, you find that the miracles of God are always for the benefit of man. And they're always really rooted in a compassion for those who are suffering. And they are an alleviation, as I said, of suffering. And, and what these miracles are, they're also a reminder of God's promise to restore the world to what he originally intended. So you see, when, when Jesus comes into the world, now remember, Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus comes as the king. He's the king. He's the king of Israel. And he comes and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then his miracles are, are little glimpses of what the kingdom is like. And interestingly, this particular miracle, and the others as well, many of the others, but this one in particular, points us to a prophecy of Isaiah that talks about the future kingdom when the Lord comes, when the Lord comes and establishes the kingdom on the earth. Isaiah 35 verses five and six say this, behold, your God will come. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. So think about that prophecy and think about the things Jesus did and think about what was happening right here. And it almost seems like Luke, who is writing this down, the language that he uses, it almost seems like he made the connection with Isaiah 35 because he records that this man was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, just a little side note that I think is interesting. Luke was a doctor. That's what he was by his profession. He was a physician. And Luke describes this miracle of healing. Uh, he describes it in a very medical way. He uses the language of a physician in describing it. When he talks about the feet and the ankle bones of this man uh, being healed, he describes it from a medical perspective. And so Luke, knowing what was the problem with this person and what it would take for them to walk, he realizes himself, this is obviously a miracle, but it's a miracle in fulfillment, partially at least, of the prophecy of Isaiah. So these miracles were a picture of what's coming in the future because there's coming a day when the eyes of all the blind shall be opened, the ears of all the deaf shall be unstopped, uh, the lame, all of the lame shall leap as a deer, and there will be no more uh, dumbness or inability to speak. All of those things will be done away with when the Lord returns. So the miracles, they, these are the purposes behind the miracles, but the, the one purpose that we see consistently manifested in connection with the miracle is that the miracle gives a platform for the gospel to be preached. So the miracle was never a substitute for the gospel. In other words, it wasn't just perform a miracle and say, all right, you got your miracle, we'll see you later. It was always the miracle now gives a platform to preach the gospel. You see, because a miracle will not save you. Only the gospel will save you. 
There are plenty of examples, even in the Bible, of people experiencing the miraculous, but not as a, not coming to the Lord as a result of it. Now, we need to remember that because we often think that the problem is there's just not enough miracles, or if we had a miracle, and how many have maybe thought at times like, uh, you know, of somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you maybe have tried to share the Lord with, and you think, you know, if they could just see a miracle, then they would believe. No, we don't have any real historical support for that. I think of the story in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus, he heals 10 lepers. And the story goes on to talk about how one of them came back to thank him. And Jesus noted, he said, were there not 10 that were healed? Where are the nine? How is it that only one came back to give glory to God? So what's being implied there is that the others, they, they received the miracle, but they didn't receive the Lord. And so this is true. So the miracle is the platform for the gospel to be preached. The gospel must be preached. And yes, we want to see God do miraculous things, but we just have to understand it's not a substitute for the gospel. The gospel has to be preached because it's the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. And quite truly, the gospel is really the greatest of all the miracles because when you, when you see a person brought from the dead spiritually and given a new life, that is the most amazing of the miracles. So it becomes a platform for the gospel. Now, I want us to look secondly at the gospel itself. So, the, so this is the apostolic gospel. So like I said, the miracles are a platform. So you go back to chapter two and what happened? There were those miraculous events on the day of Pentecost. And as a result of that, what happened? Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 were added to the church that day. Now here we have the same thing. A miraculous thing takes place. What happens? Peter stands up and he begins to preach the gospel. All the way through the book of Acts, you find this consistent pattern. Every time there's a miracle that's recorded, there's also in connection with it a proclamation of the gospel, either clearly stated and spelled out or it's inferred that it, was, that it happened. So what was the gospel that they preached? Well, this was the gospel. Christ died and rose again. Our sins put him on the cross. We must repent and be converted. That, that is more or less the same message that was preached over and over again. Sometimes the context was a little different, so the side points maybe were a little bit different. Uh, here, Peter's preaching to not only a Jewish audience, but here Peter's actually preaching to people who were personally guilty of sentencing Jesus to death. In other places, especially when we get into Paul's ministry, we find that much of Paul's preaching is in more of a Gentile context. So he addresses that in its context. But my point is this, that there were basically, these were the things always that were there in the preaching of the apostolic gospel. Christ died and rose again. Our sins put him on the cross. We must repent and be converted. So let's just look at that real quick here. So as the lame man, verse 11 who was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look at so intently at us as though we 
by our own power, godliness, had made this man walk. And here he goes. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, listen, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead. So you see what he does? He talks about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and he points to their culpability in the whole matter here. So the gospel is, first of all, that Christ died. That is the gospel. Christ died. But why did Christ die? He died for our sins. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.